I'm going to invite you, please, to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. St. Luke, the dear friend of Paul. And when you open your Bibles, if you would go to chapter 4. Now, if you prefer not to open the Bibles and, uh, and you want to use the insert that was in your bulletin, you can have that readily available as well so that you can, uh, you can follow the, uh, the teaching. <coughs> By the way, before I begin this, this teaching today, uh, today is Father Steve's birthday. So um, after the service, he's not here. Uh, he, he's probably walked out somewhere. But after the service, I want everyone to give him a big kiss and a hug. Is that okay with you out there, Michelle? All right. Michelle says it's okay. We open uh, the service today by looking at the Ten Commandments. And, um, and, and in a way, we all rededicated ourselves to them by saying, Lord, have mercy, incline my heart to keep thy law. Amen? You said that, right? Our prayer was to, uh, that the Lord will help us keep his law. Um, occasionally, and, and this is only occasionally, because I, I only remember it actually twice happening. There may have been others, but... A new book comes out, uh, and the distributor of the book creates a smaller version of the book, maybe just no more than about 10 or 12 pages, and, uh, and I, I'm fortunate to receive a copy of that. They put it in the mail, and I get it, and I only remember one other time that happened. And I read that little booklet, a few pages, and I was so impressed with the book that I went ahead and I bought a, a, a whole bunch of those books, and I gave them to everyone that, that was in my disciples' class. And if you remember, uh, those of you that may have been there, I think the book was called Not a Fan. Not a Fan. Well... Just a couple of months ago, a new book, a, a booklet, actually came through my desk. I, I received it in the mail. I put it aside on my desk, and eventually when I have the time, I, I kind of take a look at it just, just to see it. I mean, if somebody bothered to put it in the mail that I would receive it, I'm sure other pastors received it as well, I might as well take a look at it. So I read this little book, and I was extremely impressed by it as well. Uh, the book, uh, I don't remember the title of it, but it was on the Ten Commandments. And it, it, it said something that I'm not sure I, if I had heard it before, I'm not sure that it had filtered in. But it basically said that the first two commandments are probably the two most essential. I think all of them are very important or, or 
the Lord would not have given them to us. But the first two commandments kind of laid down the ground for the other eight. The first commandment simply says, Thou shalt have no other God but me. There were gods in Egypt where I brought you from. They were the gods of the Egyptians. They were not your gods. They were the gods that somehow informed the Egyptians that they should hold you captive and make you slaves. The gods of Egypt were not your God. He says, I am your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of bondage. You will have no other God but me. And then he gives the second commandment. Thou shalt not make to thyself any graven image, nor the likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or the earth beneath, or in the water under the earth, thou shalt not bow down to them, nor worship them. And then this little book basically said that every commandment that follows after is a commandment against the idolatry that the first two commandments forbid. Think about it. God said in the third commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now why would we take the name of the Lord our God in vain? To be funny? Because there's plenty of jokes out there about this person that got to heaven and talked to God and God said... Folks, I believe that's taking the Lord of God in vain. If you swear in the name of God, like some of us at times do, lightly, are we not taking the name of the Lord our God in vain? Whenever we take the name of Jehovah God, our God, in vain, we are in a way diminishing Him and somehow putting ourselves either in a funny state to get a laugh and we are in some way committing a form of idolatry. When it's about me being funny, being liked, being believed, it's about me. Remember that thou keep holy the Sabbath day. How many other things do you put in place of the worship of God? How many times do you just decide that it's Super Bowl Sunday and you're just not going to go to church that day? Or it's the all-star game, NBA, and you're not going to go to church that day. The worship of God that day is on television. It's a game. 
How many other things do you allow on Sunday mornings, the day of the worship of God, to replace the importance of God, the place of God in our lives? And I'm not talking about one person. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about all of us. Is that not a form of idolatry? Honor your father and your mother. Now, why wouldn't you honor your father and your mother? Because you become their judge? Because they fail you in some way? Because they weren't what you thought you deserved to be? Because they had their own brokenness? And maybe they did fail you? But who made you the judge of the person who gave you life? There's nowhere in that commandment that it says, honor your father and your mother when they're great. Or when they're perfect. Or any such thing. It just simply says, honor your father and your mother. And it's the only commandment with a promise. It's a promise to bless you in the land that you will one day occupy. But why don't we, bless, why don't we honor them? Because somehow... We become more important than them. We have the right. We give ourselves the right. And in a way, we may be committing idolatry. Thou shalt not murder. Why do we murder? We murder because we somehow think that that we need to in order to avenge ourselves or in order to rob somebody or, or in order to... I mean, I don't need to go into details, but it becomes about me, my feelings, what was done to me, etc., 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 and then it's idolatry. Thou shalt not commit adultery. How many worship sex? How much lust is worshipped in this country, in this city, in our lives? How much is there the worship of our lust? That's idolatry. Thou shalt not steal. My goodness, we have such an idolatrous heart for possessions. Don't we? I'm guilty. We make our possessions, those that we have and those that we don't have, an idolatrous object. And we want it. We want it. And we, all of us here, probably have more than we even need. But we worship possessions. That's idolatry. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. Covetousness is idolatry. You see where this goes. Whenever you place anything at all above God in your life, it is idolatry. It is idolatry. Thou shalt have no other God before me. You will not bow down to them. You will not worship them. You will not serve them.
the moment you do any such thing, it is idolatrous. Only God should be at the top of our agenda, our interests, and our service, and our worship. And we must guard his name faithfully. Well, Jesus has just been baptized. Imagine the baptism of Jesus for a moment. What a glorious moment. Jesus walks over to the river. There's a lot of people there. John the Baptist is proclaiming the word of the Lord. Prepare ye the way. Jesus walks into the water. John the Baptist recognizes him as the Messiah. As the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist says, wait, wait, wait. It should be me who's baptized by you. I'm not even worthy to undo the, the, the ties of your sandals. Jesus says, oh no, let it be. If I'm going to be one of you. Let everything that you have to go through, let me go through it. And he's baptized. And the moment he's baptized, the heavens are open. Like a door open in heaven. And the Spirit of God in a bodily form descends upon Jesus Christ. And the voice of the Father is heard. This is my beloved Son. In whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine? Just imagine for a moment being there and observing this thing. And then immediately we're told that the same Holy Spirit that came upon Jesus took him to the wilderness. Took him to the wilderness of Judea. The very same Holy Spirit. Well, I went to the internet and I tried to find for you some pictures of the wilderness of Judea, the area where Jesus may have been at. There is one of the pictures. Look at that. There is not one plant in that place. Rocks Sun, the next slide, those caves that are there, that mountain there is called the Mount of Temptations because they think that it is in this area where Jesus may have spent 40 days in the wilderness facing off with his old enemy, the serpent. Jesus is taken to the wilderness by the very Holy Spirit. And I've told you before, a few uh, months back in a previous sermon, that one of the books I'm reading, because I have like six books going almost at the same time, but there's a book I'm reading by uh, Fulton Sheen called The Life of Christ. Fulton Sheen says this, I looked it up, I had already read it, but I decided I better refresh if I'm going to be preaching on this. And Fulton Sheen says, if God, Jesus, had not taken upon himself a human nature, 
he could not have been tempted. You hear that? If he had not taken on human nature, he could not have been tempted. If he were to become like us in all things, he would have to undergo the human experience of withstanding temptations. So that tells me that it was the will of God that Jesus be tempted. He took him there to be tempted before he began his ministry. It was the will of God that he be tempted. So Fulton Sheen also says, In his baptism, he had received the Spirit in confirmation of his mission. In his temptations, he received the strengthening which comes directly from trial and testing. There is a law written across the universe that no one shall be crowned unless he has first struggled. Jesus was tempted either for 40 days straight or toward the end of the 40 days. The Bible only tells us of three temptations, but I wonder how many more Jesus might have had endured during those 40 days. When it comes to the temptations of Jesus, the three temptations, Fulton Sheen correctly calls that chapter the three shortcuts from the cross. The three shortcuts from the cross. Because every one of the temptations had but one purpose. To stop Jesus from going to the cross. Every one of the temptations were an attempt to derail the salvific work of Jesus. If he could offer him something that might entice him. He would stop him from going to the cross. Every one of them. Now one of the things that I have realized. By looking at this chapter. Is that Jesus was tempted from outside. We get tempted from inside. We get tempted from inside. We get tempted because there are weaknesses in us. Emptinesses, places of, of hunger and pain. And temptation begins within us. Jesus did not have that. So his temptations come from without. The devil gives him temptations. Now the other thing I want you to be aware of when we come to the temptations of Jesus... Is that the temptations of Jesus are not dissimilar to the temptations of Adam and Eve. Now Adam was the first son of God. Right? The first created one of God and so was Eve. And the first son and daughter of God failed. They failed from the temptations that the serpent brought to them. 
temptations such as you don't have to listen to God. You want to be like God? I mean, it's in you. You want to be like Him? I'll tell you how you can do it. Eat of the tree that He told you not to eat of. All of the temptations of Jesus are present there. Ignore God, feed yourself, and become what you were not intended to become. They're there. Fulton Sheen also says, When Adam declared war against God, man declared war against God also. Because we inherited the tainted nature of the sinful Adam and Eve. We inherited it. And it's not just that we blame them because we do our own stuff. I mean, we're guilty ourselves. We don't need to just point to original sin or any such thing. I am guilty of my own stuff. The temptations of Adam and Eve, the temptations of Jesus are not dissimilar to our temptations, are they? They really are not. It's the same issues. It's the same issues over and over again. The first temptation of Jesus had to do with his physical needs. Jesus had fasted for 40 days. See, one thing about Satan, he doesn't tempt you where you're strong. He tempts you where you're weak. He knows you. He knows you. He knows me. He knows that he cannot tempt me with alcohol because I don't drink. He knows he cannot tempt me with drugs. I've never done drugs. But boy, he knows where to get me. He knows where my weaknesses are. He knows where my guards are down. He knows how to come at me and he knows how to come at you. The first temptation had to do with physical needs of Jesus. He was hungry. Imagine that. God being hungry. God being hungry. And the first temptation is feed yourself. Feed yourself. Take these, these stones and make them bread and feed yourself. Whatever is in your heart, whatever hungers, whatever pains, whatever sorrows, whatever you think you have the right to because it's your life and it's your body, what are you willing to sell to feed yourself? Because we do that all the time. What are the hungers in your heart that you are willing to betray God for so that you can feel satisfied? What are you willing to ignore that God said not to do or He said to do and you choose not to do what He says to do and do what He says not to do? To feed your hunger. And you turn at times something good into something not good. 
And you betray yourself and you betray God. See, the first temptation was about Jesus taking care of himself. If he can get him on that, he probably can get him on the rest. Because all of a sudden, it's all about me, me, me. It's not about sacrifice. It's about me. Sacrifice? No. The cross? No. If I have the power to turn stones into bread, what other powers do I have? Not sacrifice. See, we don't like sacrifice ourselves. It's about me, me, me. The second temptation is where Satan takes Jesus to a very high mountain or to a very high place and shows him all of the kingdoms of the world. You know, somehow there is a vision that, that he's able to show Jesus all of the riches, the kingdoms of the world. And he says, they belong to me. I'm willing to give them to you, all of them, every little one of them, all the riches, all the diamonds, all the power, all the authority, if you bow down and worship me. Here's the thing. What he's saying to, to Jesus is, you could have it all, but you can't change it. It's under my power. If you bow down and worship me, you also come under my power. You can have it all, but you came into this world to change the world. You can't change it. You bow down and worship me. It's about me. You can't change it. I'm still the power behind the throne. That's what he was offering Jesus. Jesus was going to go to the cross to change the destiny of every human being. He is offering Jesus everything to leave it as it was. He was offering him money, power, position, authority, fame. What will you sell? To sell your soul. What would you give. To have all the power of the world. What will you give. To be famous. Especially those. In our congregation. That are involved in the movie industry. Or, or in the business world. What will you give. To become the richest man in the world. The man with the most power in the world. The man or the woman with the greatest fame and everyone recognizes you everywhere and everyone adores you and everyone wants your autograph. What will you give to own it all? That's what's being offered to Jesus. All. But he had to bow down and worship Satan. In a way, he had to trade the sonship of God for the sonship of Satan. He had to cast down his journey to the cross. 
That's what's being offered to become the son of Satan or the servant of Satan. And then the third temptation comes. And the third temptation, Satan takes him to the highest point in the temple of Jerusalem. It's called the pinnacle. A high point in the temple. As you look from the pinnacle of the temple, there are the walls of the temple. And then the city of Jerusalem below. And he says to him, quoting Psalm 91, which... Uh, was due to be read today. He says, if you throw yourself down from here, if you really are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Show that you are who you say you are. Everyone will follow you at that point. Everyone will say, there is the Messiah. There is the power. You don't have to die on a cross to be followed. Man follows only strength. Not a lamb going to be slaughtered. Listen, man like the spectacular, not the divine. Throw yourself and show the world that you are God. Throw yourself down. And he quotes scripture to Jesus. Now all of these temptations, how contrary they are to the will of God for Jesus. The will of God for Jesus was not to do the miraculous and the powerful, but to go to the cross and do something much more amazing. Save the world through his sacrifice and through the blood. It was going to be sacrifice, not power, not authority. See, he already owned all the power that there was to be had. He just chose to put it aside to become man and as a human being to go up across and sacrifice everything that we might have life. He who was without sin became sin so that we who were with sin might become the righteousness of God. His path was hard. His path was painful. And Satan thought he could just do the same as he did with Adam and Eve or he does with us. Lure Jesus into giving up the path to the cross. That's what's going on in the wilderness. The barrenness of the wilderness. There are two passages of scripture that have always blessed me when it comes to temptation. The first one is from 1 Corinthians St. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Just stop there for a moment. I don't want to hear anybody ever tell me that you're tempted more than somebody else. I don't want anybody say to me, oh, I'm weaker than you. Or my temptation was bigger than yours. St. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Every temptation has a way out of it. 
Because God has said it there. Every temptation has a way out of it. It's just that we don't choose to run. We choose to embrace it. We think sin is our friend at times. We think we have the right to do what we want to do. And so we choose sin over God. Every temptation has a escape in it. You can call somebody, you can run from the situation, you can start praying, you can call on the Holy Spirit, you can do all sorts of things, but we choose not to. We play with sin as if he was a friend we can carry in our back pocket and once in a, in a while bring him out and play with it like he was a, uh, an iPod or something like that. Sin kills. Sin destroys. You and your family, and your church, and embarrasses God. Sin is not our friend. It's our enemy. Don't play with sin. Don't entertain it. Don't allow it. When you're tempted, there's always a way. The other passage of Scripture that has always blessed me is from James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. Stop there. Where does temptation begin? It begins inside of you. It begins in your own desires. Those pieces, those brokenness, those places in your life where you're hungry. There's a need. There is something that you're looking, feed me, feed me, feed me. That's where temptation begins. And then it says, drawn away by his own desires and enticed. See, the enticed part, that's the devil's part. He puts it and dangles it in front of you. Exactly what you need or you think you need. That's what he dangles in front of you. And then it says, Then when desire has conceived, when you have grabbed to that temptation, when you have done the temptation, sin, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. When you think you can get away with it again and again and again and again and you don't care anymore, you just enjoy what you're doing, you will die. Sin brings forth death. Those two passages are important to me. Now, when I prepare my sermons, every Wednesday morning I get up early and I pray. I spend time in prayer. And, and, uh, and one of the things I always begin my sermon with is with words similar to this, Father, these are your people. They're not mine. These are your people. What do you want them to know about you? What is it that you want me to say to them? What is your message from this passage? But what is your message for them? And then when he gives me things, I just write them down and I know that that's where he wants me to go. So the rest of the sermon needs to lead there. 
This is what I believe the Lord has said to me for you for this Sunday. First, he who tempts another sins. He who tempts another sins. Number two, he who sins commit idolatry and adultery against me. He who sins commits idolatry and adultery against me. And then the Lord said to me, I believe it was the Lord, there is a way out, the cross. My friends, that cross that Jesus was not willing to give up, that cross is the grace of God available to you and to me. All our sins ever are erased, paid for, taken away by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. His death on the cross takes away all those times when we fall into sin. At the cross is that our salvation is accomplished. The grace of God is manifested at the cross in Calvary in the death of His only Son. We come to the cross by faith. With repentance. It's not just coming to the cross. We must come with faith. Believing that Jesus is who he said he was. That he did what he said he was going to do. That it was the will of God. And that salvation is present in Jesus Christ. We come in faith with repentance, correction, and conversion of the heart. We come to the cross in faith, with repentance, correction, because we have to correct. We can't keep coming back and saying, oh, I'm sorry, and just go back and keep doing it. Correction and conversion of the heart. And lastly, I believe the Lord said to me, perhaps for me more than for you, but I think for all of us, come as often as you need to. Come as often as you need to. Our salvation was accomplished in Jesus Christ once and forever. But we must keep coming to the cross. We must keep coming. We must be repentant. We must be seeking to be corrected. We must come to convert ourselves to live and honor our Father in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit. Come as often as you have to. But come. Don't stay away. We all sin. We all will be tempted on and on and on. Sometimes we'll be victorious, sometimes we won't be victorious, sometimes we will fall. Only at the cross do we have the cleansing of our sins. Jesus Christ accomplished it. Adam failed, I failed, Jesus is victorious. You have salvation in Jesus Christ. Come 
to the cross. In faith, repentance, correction, and conversion. Turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Amen.